Hey everybody, this is Ernie Johnson, and welcome to EJ's Game Plan. It's your guide to working in sports media. Today we'll be talking to David Aldridge, Editor-in-Chief of The Athletic DC. Wait a minute, nobody is allowed to cut me off. I was still talking. So anyway, hopefully you're all back on and we can get started with questions soon. Kay Harris says, what up DA? What up Harris 7 It's also my first day. Again, I'm old. I'm not, a, I'm not young. I'm not like the young kids. So jump on, ask away. I'll be happy to tell you what I think. And if I can't answer, I'll find someone who can. As I was saying before, I was so rudely interrupted. Um, hi. How do I prepare for a game, says Zach. Well, Zach, that takes lots of time. It takes several days of getting ready, uh, looking at tapes of the last previous few games that teams have played. Um, and then when we get to the city uh, where we do a game, we go to the team's practice either the day before or the day of the game. And uh, we talk to the coaches, we talk to the players, we try to sit at least one player down from each team for a more extensive interview to see how things are going. Richie mm -hmm. says, if only you knew how many people cut you off in 2K. You know, this is funny. I, I know you guys think this upsets me somehow. I still get paid, people. I still get the checks. And they're nice checks. They're really nice checks. So cut me off all you want. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I know you think this bothers me or something, but it doesn't. As long as 2K keeps paying me, you know. Uh, J.M. Safer, I think that's what he says, or Satter, says, will NBA season happen? I don't know is the answer. Uh, I know that both the players and the league want to finish the season in a meaningful way where you have an NBA champion. Um, and so that's half the battle. Uh, the fact that they want to make it happen means that it's there's a good chance that it will happen. The problem is obviously logistical. Uh, where do you where do you do it? But then again, the other problem is what you know what protocols can you undergo or undertake to make sure that you're mitigating the risk of spreading coronavirus? And it's a tough tough it's tough. Um, it's not easy to mitigate. So that's something that they continue to work on. Um, my guess, and it's a guess right now, is that at some point there will be a season. Um, Blake at Well5 is asking, what was my first job out of school in the business? Well, this is where I, I have to say I was very lucky. Um, my first job was at the Washington Post, and that is not what happens to most people, and I understand that. Um, I was very fortunate that I got an internship. Hello, Buffalo Alice, my one of my favorites. Kirsten, say hello. Um, I was very lucky. I got an internship at the Washington Post after I graduated from college and um, did the internship that summer. And there was a general assignment job available at the end of that summer. And that was just good timing, good luck. It had nothing to do with me or my talent. Uh, I was just in the building at the time. Um, but I think the reason I got in the building is because I had 300 clips from my four years of being at American University at the school newspaper there. Um, so 
I think that's what got me in the door was that they saw they did. It wasn't that I knew what I was talking about. I did not. But what they knew was that I would work hard. And that's the advice I would give to any young journalist coming up. You're not any good right now. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, you don't have any experience. So all you can provide is your work ethic. So the harder that you work and the more clips and more more reels that you have available to show to people, they'll see that you that you're willing to do the work, that you're willing to try to get better. And that's what will get you ahead in this game, I think. So let's see, can I scroll for comments? Is Trent Williams getting traded this week? I don't think so. Um, I think that uh, they're still way apart. That's a, that's a Washington Redskins question. Uh, let's see, it's about health. Says, is that really you or father time? <laughs> I know I'm, I'm terrible with beards. I've tried, this is only the second time in my life I've let my beard grow, uh, and it never looks good. I, I it didn't look good when I was 27. It doesn't look good now. Julian wants to know the main difference between working in print journalism and TV broadcasting. Um, time is is the big difference. Uh, with with TV, there's an immediacy to it. You have to get it done quickly. There's a time element. You're, you don't have as much time to do the piece that you want, that you would want to do. And whether it's, whether you're doing studio work or, or remote work, being live at a game, there's just not a lot of time. You have to say what you're going to say and get it done quickly. You just have a lot more time in writing or digital to kind of think about what you're going to say and think about what you're going to write. And it, there's just more time. And that's the main difference. Um, I, someone said, what is it like being in 2k? It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, I really enjoy it. Um, I enjoy learning about video games. I didn't know much about them when, when I first started this a few years ago. And I can tell you the 2k people are amazing in terms of the time that they put in to make sure that everything is correct. Um, um, up to the seating arrangements at arenas. I mean, they really do a remarkable job. And um, they take it seriously, and I really like that. Um, and it's been it's a whole new avenue for me to learn about for, for young people who don't really <laughs> remember me from ESPN or even from Turner to know that, um, that they're watching me on 2K is kind of cool. In my opinion, or uh, someone is asking me who is the best NBA play er player ever, uh, my short list is Michael Jordan, Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That's my short list. Um, LeBron is probably, okay, we'll put LeBron in there too, although I don't really think he's on that level of the other three. Um, Wilt was unstoppable. Kareem was unstoppable with one move, with one shot. And uh, Michael Jordan, as we're all seeing, I hope you all are watching, uh, is um, one of a kind. So any one of those three could go. Julian Winter says, how did you adjust to each new employer's expectations for you? Um, that's a trial process. It takes a while to get um, acclimated when you have a new job. Um, the main thing that you try to do is um, be a sponge, be willing to ask questions, be willing to say, I don't know or I don't understand. The worst thing you can do in any job is pretend like you know everything. Um, you'll be exposed immediately. So it's always easier for, to ask for help than it is to try and do it on your own and make your mistakes. Uh, Ariel says she likes my podcast. Thank you. Hoops Adjacent. It's a podcast to do with Laz Lambre at The Athletic now. 
I love podcasting, Ariel. I've been a guest on podcasts for a long time, but I haven't been the host, and this is fun hosting. Uh, Ian asked, the best advice for getting into sideline reporting is to be a good reporter, um, whether that's on the print side or on the digital broadcast space. Um, be a good reporter, because that's the skill that I fall back on or that I fell back on when I did sidelines was uh, I was just depending on my reporting skills that I had developed over 15, 20 years um, to find a story, to find a storyline, to get as much information as you can on the air and um, move on. But it's not about interviewing guys post game. It's what you say in the two hours during the game. I think that makes a difference. Uh, let's see. Jesse Reed says, what year was my favorite American university team? Jesse Reed, you know that answer. 2014, my friend when my beloved AU Eagles went up to Boston and spanked that Boston Terrier behind to win the Patriot League Championship and get to the NCAAs. Mm -hmm. You know that. Uh, let's see. Obi-Wan McCarthy says, do you love Pop? Uh, yeah, I assume you mean Greg Popovich and not my dad, right? Okay. <laughs> I like Greg a lot. Um, and I always tell people, um, if you're just judging Pop on the 90 seconds of non-interviews that he gives during games, you're missing the boat because uh, he's a whole person. He's a wonderful guy. Uh, he thinks about things other than basketball. He cares about other people aside from the people that play for him. Uh, so uh, I like I, I enjoy Greg Popovich's company a lot and uh, like talking to him about things besides basketball. Um, so uh, I, I truly do enjoy him, and that's why I don't mind. <laughs> I didn't mind when he you know, stared me down or gave me those two-word two answers during games. Um, <laughs> that's just how he is. He just doesn't like being interrupted during the game. That's a, that's a philosophical thing. It doesn't have anything to do with me or Greg Sager or Doris Burke or anybody else who's been doing those things. Uh, Dave Fish 84 says, do you think front offices are too white? Yes. Yes is the answer. Um, diversity is always a challenge. It's a challenge in any corporation, any company, and it's a challenge in NBA front offices. Um, one of the, I think, things that people need to think about with regard to analytics is that there are, there are, don't get me wrong, there are a number of people of color in the analytics field, in the analytics space, um, but there aren't as many as there are people who used to play. Um, and, and what I fear is that the experiences and the ability to teach uh, by the people who actually played basketball at the NBA level is, is being kind of you know, put, pushed to the side or, or put in one box and, and thought of as the only thing that they can contribute to a, a team getting better. And I just, I just disagree with that. And I just think there are a lot of people uh, who didn't play in the NBA of color that need to get more opportunities in the front office and need more chances to succeed and to fail um, and then to get hired again. Uh, Zach, uh, Zach, did you ask a question? How, well, yeah, yeah, he did, but if he did, I'll ask her this. How do you think journalism has changed? Um, it's a 24-hour news cycle, Zach. Um, simply put, um, there, there's no time to think anymore. Uh, when I first started, uh, I would go to the Bullets practice. It's so long ago they were the Bullets then. They weren't the Wizards yet. Um, the practice would be over about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. I would drive to the newsroom at the Washington Post. I would sit down, and I would think for a while about what I wanted to write. 
and maybe make a few more phone calls and check on a couple of things. And then I'd start to write my story and I'd take two or three hours to write it. And it wouldn't be ready to go until about seven o'clock at night, you know, and um, and I couldn't possibly do that now. Uh, everything is so immediate. Every practice is videotaped and the tape is on social media 30 seconds after the person says it. So all of the things that we used to do in terms of time, in terms of having the, op the, op the, uh, the time to think about what we wanted to write, to have the time to check things, you really can't do that now. You have to really trust the people that you talk to. Um, it's difficult, it makes it much more, much more difficult than it used to be. Uh, the one and only Damien says, out of all your jobs you've had, which one was your favorite? And that's, Damien, it's a hard question because I really liked all of my jobs. I, I enjoyed working at the Washington Post. It was a great time. It was a great era of journalism. Um, newspapers had money back then, so we were able to travel. We were able to do a lot more travel than they can now. Um, you know, I was able to see the world uh, at a very young age, uh, cover a lot of sports that I otherwise wouldn't have gotten a chance to cover working for the Washington Post. I loved working at ESPN. I made great friendships there. Uh, the NBA Tonight was the most fun I ever had in television, working with Jason Jackson, my, my dear friend who's down in Miami now, with the Heat and Freddie Carter. I had a great time doing that. But I also loved working at Turner. I, they were first class in everything that they did uh, from minute one. Um, the people there are outstanding in every way. I learned so much about television from producers, great producers like Scott Cockerell and and, Al, and Scooter Vertino and a lot of great people around behind the scenes and, and talking about basketball with guys like Shaq and Kenny Smith and, and Chris Weber and Grant Hill. I mean, it was like a grad school, man. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. I had so much fun. I'm going to scroll up. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I know. Three hour turnaround was a long time. How long did it take to get, on ESPN says SK Butternut 23. Um, I was at the Washington Post in 1996. I had just finished, well, I had finished my third year covering the Redskins. Um, and I was kind of wondering what I was going to do next. And ESPN just called me out of the blue and said they wanted a full-time uh, reporter to cover the NBA. Um, they had, you know, guys like Peter Gammons who had been at the Boston Globe and Chris Mortensen, who had been at the Atlanta, Atlanta Journal-Constitution. They had hired in the previous few years to work for them full-time, and so now they were looking for an NBA reporter, and they called me. Why they called me, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think Jackie McMullen might have had something to do with it, and I don't know that for sure. Jackie's a great friend. Um, Logan, my buddy Logan Murdoch, says, how did you keep your sanity being a young reporter? Um, you just roll with the punches, man. You just realize that this is a time to learn. This is a time to work on your craft, to develop sources, to get better, to be a better reporter, uh, to, to learn more about the sport and its history, and just just work it. Just work at it. You know, it's, it's, um, it's not linear. You have fits and starts. You go backwards. You go forwards. You learn from your mistakes. We all made them. I made a ton of them. Um, and all you can do is vow to be better the next day um, and, and realize that you're going to – you still have learning – a learning curve and growing pains, man. And that's just how it is. And we all were young once. And then someday you get all this gray hair like I do. Uh, Tomlin does it, says, how do you balance being a fan of a game and a writer at the same time? Um, you know, it's, it's not that hard for me. Um, I just grew up 
really respecting reporters and understanding that you had to not be a fan when you started covering. Um, you can appreciate the greatness that you see on the floor, on the court, or on the field, or on the mound, or you know whatever sport it is, without rooting, without cheering. You just have to not be a fan. Um, as I always tell people, it doesn't matter to me whether they win or lose because I still have to work. You know, it's not like I get the day off tomorrow if they win. So you know, I have no rooting interest other than the story. I want the story to be good. So. I root for stories as much or more than I root for people or teams, I guess is how I'd answer that. Uh, let's see, who else has a question? Ralph DeGraff, how are you keeping fit now? That's a great question, Ralph. I must say that I have tried very hard during, I live in Washington, DC, and we have been locked down for more than a month now. Um, but I'm very fortunate that I live near a park. So what I've tried to do, uh, you know, three or four times a week is either run, jog, or walk through the park uh, for an hour, hour and a half. Um, and then I'm, I've got some very small weights in the house. <laughs> and so a couple of days a week, I take about an hour and just, you know, I, I actually downloaded something or I read a story on the, in The Athletic um, that they did a great job. Nicole Auerbach wrote this piece and, and did a great job talking to some personal trainers about things you could do at home. And there's a couple, there's a, there were some exercises that they recommended. So I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to get as much sleep as I can. I'm trying to drink a lot of water. This is water, it just has some stuff in it. Um, and I'm trying not to eat everything every night. Uh, Yo24 says, Luca or Zion, who do you want for the next 10 years? Wow, good question. Um, I would say, I would say Luca, and, and it's because of his passing because passing never gets old, right? Um, you, can, you know, great passers are always great passers, so they can always help a team. Uh, I've seen, you know, Jason Kidd at age 40 dominate a game, and he couldn't jump, but he could shoot and he could pass. Um, and so someone who is as good a passer as Luca is, is a guy that you can keep on your team long past the time where his physical skills start to deteriorate, um, the jumping and all of those things, but a smart guy who knows how to move the ball um, can always play on a team. And that's nothing against Zion, by the way. Uh, let's see. Oh, well, somebody else asked. Let's see. I'm going to get somebody who hasn't asked him. Um, Marco. Oh, hey, Marco. He says, can you share your why it's important to consider non-reporters roles speech? Yes, because there's a lot more jobs for non-reporters than there are for reporters. I always tell people that the jobs in, in sports are like a funnel. If you take a funnel, you know, a funnel's wide at the top and it's narrow at the bottom. So the on-air jobs are the narrow end of the funnel. There's only a few of them. There's just a little bit of space there. The jobs behind the scenes are like the top of the funnel. It's a lot wider. There's a lot more things you can do. You can be a researcher. You can be a, a shooter, a camera person. You can work sound. You can work, you can lay cable. You can be a producer or a director. You can work in public relations. You can do so many more things behind the scenes than you can do in front of the camera. And so that's why I always recommend to young people, especially when you're starting out, please take the time to learn how to edit. You know, there's so many editing, so much editing software out there now that you can use and you all have cameras and you all have GoPros and things like that. And you should be able to, and invest in those. Those are investments. Investments. If you don't have them, you should buy them, and learn how to edit. 
because if you can edit, you can work anywhere. You can work at any TV station in the country. Um, whereas there's very few jobs on air around the country. So that would be my advice. Uh, let's see. Chuck wants to know how Doris Burke is feeling. I do not know. I haven't talked to her. I sent her a text. I trust she's doing better. I hope she's doing better. Um, we love you, Doris. We hope you're doing better. Um, Brenda, Brennan Lockery says, which NBA player do you see having the best career in broadcasting reporting after the NBA? That's a good question. Um, good question. Obviously, LeBron could do whatever he wants to do in that regard. Um, he could be on air and would be great at it. I think Dwayne, you already see Dwayne Wade is going to be really good on TV. Um, amongst the, the other current players, um, boy, that's an excellent question. I got to think about that. Let me think about that and I'll double back to that in a bit. Let me see. Uh, speaking of LeBron, Mike Ortiz says, what are your thoughts on LeBron's 17th season and how long do you think his dominance will last? Well, this is exactly what I was just saying about Luca, Mike, is that when you can pass, you can play. You can play forever as long as you stay in pretty good shape. And LeBron's obviously in great shape and healthy this year. But someone who is as good a passer as LeBron, and to me, at his size, the only comp is Magic Johnson. Um, he can play f as long as he stays healthy um, because he can always be effective on a court, his ability to pass. And at his size, at 6'8", his passing lanes are just different from normal point guards who are you know six feet or 5'11 or whatever. He can see over defenders, and the angles are different. So that's why he can stay He can stay on the court as long as he can because he's a real student of the game. Killer Cam says, asks, who's your favorite interview league-wide? That's an excellent question. Um, my favorite interview league-wide. Well, again, I always liked um, – I like LeBron. He's a very thoughtful guy, very smart about basketball. Um, so I always enjoyed talking to him. Um let me, that's another one I need to think about. Um, there's so many good guys in the league. Embiid is great because he always has something to say. Um, I have interviewed James Harden several times, Pocket Rocket. It's a good interview. like James a lot. Uh, Tyler Warren says, how underrated is Akeem Olajuwon? Um, he's not underrated by me um, and people who know the game and follow the game. He's one of the greatest of all time. Um, he just happened to play at the same time as Jordan did. Um, and that's why maybe people don't remember those Rockets teams as well, but they should because they were great teams and he was the focal point of them. And when you look at his, the entirety of his career, including the, the time he spent in college getting to the final four, three straight years, I mean, that tells you all that you need to know to me. Um, let's see. Chuck wants to know, who am I starting a team with, King James or Larry Legend? Um, probably Larry because of the shooting piece, right, especially today. Uh, they both were outstanding passers, obviously, but Larry's ability to spread the floor with the three would make him a dynamic player. He could probably be a stretch five in, in today's game. Um, let's see. CJ Sachi or Saki, I'm sorry. Any advice in developing relationships with players as a reporter? I sometimes get nervous to intrude. Well, CJ, that's, that's kind of our job. You know, it's to intrude. That's our job. I hate to tell you, but that's what we do for a living. Um, I had a great editor when I was at the Washington Post named Lenny Shapiro when I first started. 
And one of the first things he told me was, if you're afraid to ask the question, this is not the job for you. <laughs> you know, you have to be willing to ask unpleasant questions that people probably don't want to answer, but that's what we do for a living. Um, and so it's okay if you don't want to do that. It's all right. But I don't think you can do this job as well as, as you're capable of if you're not willing to, to be nosy and to ask those questions. Um, but you also have to turn the camera off, turn the microphone off from time to time. Go to a practice with nothing, to, nothing on your mind. And just talk to people like they're human beings, you know? Just talk to people before games like they're human beings, not because you're working on a story. Just ask them what they think about what's going on in the world, you know? And that helps you develop those relationships and being present at every practice, at every game, every opportunity you have to see players and coaches and being willing to say, I don't understand what you're doing out on the field. Can you explain this to me, whatever this is? They will respect that and they will appreciate it because you want to get it right. And I always said, I, you know, I don't want to say something that is incorrect. So tell me what, what this was. Why did you do this? Or what were you trying to do? And they appreciate that. Um, but, 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 let me see. Ralph DeGraff says, is it, is it easier to ask a question in person or on the phone? Well, that, nobody's ever asked me that, Ralph. Um, I, it's the same, I think, really. Um, maybe in person, because you can actually look a person in the eye while you're asking them that, whatever it is you're asking, and that sometimes they're more compelled to answer uh, more honestly if you're having a conversation with them and you're present physically in the conversation. I, I guess probably that. Uh, Many-faced Wardell says, do you know Dr. Retha Hill? I do know Dr. Retha Hill. Say hello to her when you, say, when you see her. She is an old friend of mine. Uh, oh, we've asked one already. Uh, Smooth JB says, what's a moment in basketball journalism that the sports fan in you wanted to celebrate? Oh, wow, there's so many. I mean, there really are a lot. Um, gosh, I mean, the dream team was phenomenal. Uh, watching them play in Barcelona in 92 was, was sensational. Um, the, watching Cleveland win the finals in 2016, because I know what that city's gone through, for, had gone through over the last previous 40 or 50 years since they had won a championship. I know how much it meant to that city. It was a really, really cool moment uh, for them. Um, it was, uh, that was a lot of, of fun to watch. Um, you know, watching Kobe's last game, I was there for his last game, uh, with the Lakers. Um, and I understood what it meant. So I didn't care that he took 50 shots that night. He literally took 50 shots that night. Um, it didn't matter because I understood the moment and everybody that was there understood the moment. So those, those are some of the basketball memories that, that come to mind that I really did like. Thoughts on the Last Dance documentary. Um, I think it's the first two episodes were phenomenal, and I was honored that they asked me to be a part of it. Um, and I hope I'm in more of it because it's it's fun. And in watching, and what I really appreciate is that I think for people maybe under 35 who didn't get to see Jordan and the Bulls in person or live or even on television in those days, I hope it gives you an appreciation for how good they were and how good Michael was and how good Scottie Pippen was um, because they were incredible and those teams were incredible and that era was incredible. Brian 
says, do you think Giannis will sign the Supermax or a shorter extension? This is a guess. I do not know. I'm guessing um, that I'm guessing shorter extension. I think the main thing that players understand now is that they have leverage, right? And um, the, the one, whether it's a one plus one deal or the three-year extension with an out after two, whatever it is, when a team knows that you can walk in a year or two, it tends to focus them on making the team around you as good as possible. So my guess, and it is a guess, is that Giannis would sign some sort of short extension with Milwaukee to kind of keep the pressure on them um, to, to make sure that that team continues to stay good. Marv Albert or Mike Breen, that's like asking vanilla or chocolate. But, I, but Marv, obviously, with his long history with the Knicks is before he came, before Turner, and with NBC, he's, you know, he's the best of all time. Come on, it's Marv. He's the best guy of all time. Uh, let's see. Uh, what's something? Oh, no, you've asked a question. Duran, Darren or Deron Jackson? I'm sorry. How do guys like Kareem, Dr. J, Gervin, and the like feel about the bird and magic save the NBA adage? Um, it's a good question. Um, and um, I can't say that I know the answer. I think people understand the impact of Bird and Magic and the, and the Lakers and the Celtics rivalry in the 80s in terms of turning the, the perception of the league and the interest of the league around. I think you'd have to be really naive not to understand how important that rivalry was and those two players in particular were to that rivalry achieving the greatness that it did during the 80s. And, you know, the historic nature of both franchises uh, the fact that one was on the East Coast, the fact that one was on the West Coast, the fact that one was white, the fact that one was black, the fact that they both played the exact same way, and the fact that they both had the ultimate respect for one another. You just add all the things up. You know, the Celtics won three, the Lakers won five. I mean, they dominated that decade. So you have to understand how important those two were. So that's certainly how I would view it. And I think that's how most people view it. Pocket Rocket wants to know, can I beat Elevator Ernie Johnson in a one-on-one -on -one game? You know, yes. <laughs> I'll just move on. Chuck B says, do you think MJ's years with the Wizards are underrated? Um, no, because they didn't make the playoffs um, either year. Um, but I do think that people don't appreciate how how – effective Michael still was as a player with a with a Wizards team that really was not as good <laughs> obviously as any of the Bulls teams he was on um, but did not have a lot of great talent but he made those teams competitive uh, and it was a, it was amazing for me to watch watch him do that at his age you know and he went back to back you know he had 50 and then the next game he had 48 and he was mad that he didn't get 50 back-to-back -back 50s um, so the compete was still there, the intelligence was still there, and the ability to impact games was still there. Uh, John says, who was the hardest player to interview? Um, John Stockton was really hard because <laughs> John just didn't have very much to say. I wanted him to say more, but he just didn't have very much to say. Um, um, Tim Duncan, same thing. Uh, as much as I wish he had more to say, he didn't, so <laughs> you know you can only go by by the, what what they want to do. So um, they were both great when you when they talked, but they just didn't have a lot to say. 
do you ever listen to your readers' feedback? Absolutely. It's one of the things we do at The Athletic um, every day is try to um, listen to the comments, read the comments. If we make mistakes, we fix them. Um, and um, I like engaging with readers as long as they're respectful. You know, that's all I ask. Uh, B-Town says, do you know who Tiger Tracker really is? <laughs> Tiger Tracker, my man on Twitter, who follows Tiger Woods around every tournament and does a great job. I do not know who Tiger Tracker is. I don't think I want to know at this point. Um, I think uh, I, I like the fact that it's, uh, that, that it's anonymous there. Um, Cotty1528, do you like basketball in the Jordan days or now physical versus show? Um, you know, a good question. Um, look, I grew up in that era in the, in the 80s and 90s. So I'm going to probably say the 80s or 90s. But I understand that it's a completely different game now than it was then. The rules are completely different. And so, you know, it's hard to compare eras because the rules were different. Um, the, you know, I always tell people, if the three was import, as important then as it was now, do you think Michael Jordan wouldn't be a great three-point shooter too? I mean, come on. Of course he would be. Um, it's just that it wasn't as important then as playing inside. So um, there you go. So that's kind of what I was brought up on. But I appreciate the game today. I understand the skill level is incredible. I understand the shot making is better than it's ever been. Um, I just would like for there to be a little bit more balance between the three and the inside game. Um, because, you know, somewhere out there is the next shack. Somewhere out there, you know, there's a 9, 10, 12-year-old kid that's going to be the next shack. And I would hate for somebody to say you can't play unless you can shoot threes, you know? So I hope that that doesn't happen. Who is my favorite rapper? Hmm. Cool Modi. There you go. That's old school. Uh, AJ, AJ likes watches. How much respect do you have for Bill Walton? I love Bill. I love Bill's passion for the game. Um, you know, he's a storyteller. He's an historian. Uh, he played the game at the highest level. He won, a cha he won championships, plural. Um, he and Kareem are the two greatest players, in my view, who ever played in college. Just look at their records um, and their accomplishments in the college game. Um, so if you don't like Bill Walton, I'm not sure you know, who, you would, who you would like because his passion for the game, his love for the game is complete and total. I'm going to take a few more because I think we're coming up on 3 o'clock now. Shin 12, I think that's what it says, says, favorite part of working with Tony Kornheiser in the gang. I love Tony K, as you guys know, done Tony's show for years, and Tony is a friend, and uh, I love talking to him because uh, when you're on Tony's show, you can talk about anything. We talk about sports a lot, but we also talk about politics and pop culture and other stuff because I like thinking with different parts of my brain on occasion, and so I really do enjoy working with Tony. Love working with Tony and everybody on that show. Uh, e. Wayne Barber says, are today's small market teams doomed in today's NBA? I assume you mean NBA and not NBZ. Um, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I think that um, Milwaukee is not a, small, not a large market team. You know, it all gets back to players, man. It gets back to players and what they're capable of doing. Um, and if you have a great player where you are, you have a chance. I mean, Oklahoma City had two great players, three great players, right? Uh, and they thrived. Um, so no, 
Now, the margins are, are harder, and it may be harder because of those har margins to keep uh, your, you know, your team intact. Um, but you can certainly put a great team together in a small market, but you do have to manage it maybe a little differently than you do in a larger market that has a little bit more uh, ancillary income to fall back on. Will LeBron win another ring? Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. My, my guess is probably, whether it's this year or next, I'll probably say he, he'll probably get another ring. Um, let's see what else. I, you know what? I am at my phone is at like 10% now. I'm trying to see. Um, John says Shaquille O'Neal says three Pete Lakers would easily beat Michael Jordan's Bulls. Is this true? Well, you got to tell me what rules we're playing under, my friend. That's the question. Are we playing 90s rules? Or are we playing now rules? Because <laughs> that's how I would answer that question. Um, until I know what the rules are. Now, are we playing the physical style that Shaq played under, or are we playing the rules today where you can't touch anybody? Because obviously that would give one team an advantage over the other, depending on the rules you're playing under. Um, so that's how I would answer that. I need to know what the rules are. Lou Johnson says, will the Clippers move in the forum? No, I think the Clippers are going to build their own arena near the forum, you know, in that complex where, the football stadium is going up in Inglewood. They're going to build their own arena there and play is where I think they're going to do what they're going to do. Um, how was working side and side with, with Doris? I loved working with Doris. She's great. Doris is brilliant and smart and funny and she loves the game and she's a great journalist and a broadcaster as evidenced by her being in the hall of fame. So um, Doris was terrific to work, work with and work for or work with. You know, I didn't work for her. Why doesn't D.C. get more respect as a basketball hub? Well, they get respect from me. And I talk about D.C. all the time as being a basketball town. So um, I have great regard and respect for all the people that came through here, you know, starting back with Red Auerbach, who coached the Washington Capitals back in the you know, 1940s uh, and lived here in D.C., did interviews with him here in D.C. for many years. Uh, Dave Bing, you know, Elgin Baylor, you know the list. <laughs> All the great players that have played in D.C. So it gets respect from me. Oh, Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, well, my, you know, obviously we're all thinking, praying for him and his family. That's just just horrible. And you feel for him and, and his dad and his, his brothers and sisters and his, his sibling, you know, his whole family. Um, it's just awful. Um, you know, you can, I can say this, unfortunately, from experience, you lose your mother, there's nothing like it. You can't plan for it. It doesn't matter when it is in your life. It's devastating and your life is never the same afterward. Um, so I just wish him the best and hope that he has people that he can lean on now. JP wants to know, what do the wizards need to do to make themselves more attractive to top free agents? Win. <laughs> Winning. Winning is the only thing that makes it, makes free agency attractive to, to people. Um, to your peers. If you if they think you can win, you have a chance of getting them. Now other things come into, to, into play as well. Uh, the money is always about the same. So it's lifestyle. Where do you want to live? Where do you want your family to live? Where does your significant other want to live? You know, those sorts of things. Um, what's the tax situation? All of those things come into play. But if but nobody goes to a team as a free agent that's not winning. Uh, nobody of nobody that can turn your team around at, at any rate. Um, Warriors WBN, what is it like after a big game trying to get an interview with a superstar? Uh, well, 
you know, uh, it that's it's not it wasn't hard for me, but I was I worked for Turner and ESPN that were rights holders, <laughs> so you had they had to talk to us after games. That was part of the deal was that you would get a walk off interview with a winning player, you know, from the winning team. Um, so it wasn't a problem for me. It is a problem for a lot of people, especially as you get near the playoffs when there's so much more media around than there is during the regular season. It's difficult to get one-on-ones with people and it's not easy. And that's one of the things that is different now than back in my, in the old days when there were just so many more opportunities to talk to people like a Jordan or, you know, a magic or people like that. Um, Norman wants to know what inspired me to become a sports writer. Um, opportunity really more than anything else. I've always said I thought I was going to be a high school history teacher because I thought I was going to be a high school history teacher um, for a long time in high school and in college because I was a history major. And um, that's what I thought I was going to be. I got an opportunity to write. Um, and as I wrote from my school paper at the Eagle at American University, I really started to fall in love with journalism. And that's where I, that's where I really got better at it and wanted to do it. Turner Sports EJ, I know who this is. How do you cultivate sources? Well, it is a lifelong task. It never ends. I'm still trying to get people to give me their number so I can talk to them. It never changes. You're always, you know, hopeful that you can, when you, when you meet someone or you interview someone, um, if you treat them fairly, I've always found they are much more willing to work with you and accommodate you than if you burn them or if you try to take shots at them. Uh, I never had any great desire to take shots at people because it was never personal to me. Um, I didn't have money on the games, right? So I didn't care. Um, but I think if you treat people with respect, they treat you with respect back. And so I always tried to be respectful of whoever I was talking to. And then, you know, if you just say, hey, you know, at the end of an interview or whatever, hey, can we keep in touch? I'd like to keep in touch with you. Uh, is there a number that I can keep in touch with you with? And, you know, ask them. And if they say yes, you, you know, you, that's somebody that you keep, you keep uh, in touch in your phone. Along those lines, P. Diddy 2499, how do you work with sources in the front office and their anonymity? Um, again, I think if you treat people with respect, uh, they will they will reciprocate. Um, and so when I talk to people in whatever capacity they are with whatever team it is, it doesn't matter what they do for that team. You try to treat them with respect because what they do is important to them, you know. And so um, I try not to look down on anybody because there's no reason for me to, <laughs> you know, because everybody's everybody's as important as I am. Right. So, um, you try to, uh, I don't know. You try to, you, you just try to be respectful to people, you know, you try to, you try to be honest with people and they give it back to you, you know? So, um, that's how you, that's how it works with sources over the years, you know? Um, R-E-W, do you think the market size counts where players go? Um, to some players, yes. Not to all of them, but to some players, sure. You know, there's just some guys that want to play in a big market. But that's not as big as a deal as it used to be. It's not as critical as it used to be. Um, 
um, because players want to play with other players, other good players in this empowerment age. You know what I mean? So, um, it, so if they want to all play in one city or another, they will, right? So let's see. Do I think the Bucks have the team and qualities to win an NBA title? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, what piece do the Heat need to contend for a championship? They need more shooting. They got, they got a couple guys that can really shoot, but you always need more. Uh, with, with Adebayo kind of emerging in the middle, um, that was an area I thought they needed some help with, right? Um, but I don't think that they need as much help now. Um, so with Robinson and, and Hero, they need another one or two guys that can shoot. Curran Mac 22 what is something you wish you could go back and tell your 23-year-old self? Don't take it so seriously, right? <laughs> you know, I was so serious for so long, and I never wanted to smile or laugh or do anything because I was so determined to prove to people that I was a, a serious journalist. Um, and I probably came off as way too serious to a lot of people. And, you know, it was just a defense mechanism and I should have enjoyed it more and you should enjoy it more. Have fun, have fun with what you're doing. Cause it's, it's a lot of fun what we do. And if you cover sports for a living, it's a lot of fun. Kristen Ledlow, my love, why has it been so important to you to invest for future in future journalists? Because people invested in me, Kristen, <laughs> simple. Um, you know, I got so much help when I was coming up um, when I first started at the post, you know, uh, covering when I covered Georgetown, I, Jackie McMullen was at the Boston Globe. She was covering Boston College. Lenny Robbins was covering St. John's. I mean, there was just so many good reporters back then covering the different teams. And then when I started covering the NBA, and I've said this many times, you know, it wasn't just my peers, like, Curtis Bunn and Cliff Brown and David Steele and so many people that had helped me out when I was young and, and didn't know anything. And, and were, we were all young. Brian Burwell was a person who was very helpful. The late Brian Burwell was incredibly helpful to me. Mike Wilbon, who's a friend. Um, but Steve Bullpat at the Boston Herald and Mike Monroe, who was in Denver at the Denver Post then, introduced me to so many people. Um, and so you pay it forward, you know, people help me. I gotta, you know, I have to pay it forward. And I'm, I'm grateful to so many people who helped me when I was young and didn't know anything and didn't know anybody and were willing to work with me and, and help me out with stuff. Um, so it's important for me to bring people along behind me and make sure the door doesn't close. Pretty simple. Uh, one handsome Hamza. What's your take on Jerry Krause? And did you have any interactions with him in the past? I did, many. And Jerry was always, look, me and Jerry always had a very cordial relationship. Um, I don't think he confided in me. I don't know that he confided in any journalist, um, but he was always available and he always answered my questions. Um, and, you know, I, I said, I, I was tweeting this the other night when the show was on that I just don't think Jerry will ever get the credit he deserves for putting that team around Jordan. He didn't draft Jordan. I've always, Rod Thorne drafted Michael Jordan. Uh, Jerry Krause was not the GM that year, but, but Jerry put everybody else on all of those championship teams 
around Michael Jordan. And he's the guy that gave Phil Jackson a chance to be the head coach when there was no reason to give Phil Jackson a chance. And that's not a slam against Phil. It's just that he was an assistant coach on the Bulls. You know, a lot of times when a head coach gets fired, all of his assistants get fired too. Um, but they kept Phil around and they promoted Phil to the head coaching job. And, and that really is something that you have to take, and take into consideration. I think Jerry's mistake is that Jerry let his own kind of ego get in the way of what was going on there. Um, and wanted the credit that he deserved, by the way, he deserved the credit. Um, but it got in the way, I think. And unfortunately, I think that was where a lot of the animosity between he and the players and he and Phil Jackson came from. Um, because they were never, they were never going to give Jerry Krause the credit for putting that team together. Um, so, and he had a very difficult job because his job was to say no, right? And it's a hard job for someone to have, especially with the, with the level of stardom and ego that, that was in, involved with, with uh, the Bulls at that time. Donna Forgata says, should the Knicks draft a player or make a trade for a star? Um, I'm not sure the Knicks have all that much to trade for a star right now, Donna. I think I would stick with what they were starting to do a couple of years ago, which was build through the draft and take your lumps. Um, but for some reason stopped last summer. Um, I don't know why they did that, but they did that. And um, I think you have to go back to that and just, you know, keep building through the draft, add another young piece to what, what you've added the last couple of years and see how good that group can be. And then if it's not good enough, you can adjust. But I would just keep adding pieces throughout the year and, you know, bringing in free agents, but, but young, younger ones that have some upside as opposed to, you know, all these veteran guys on two-year deals, that's, it's really difficult to win when you have a lot of guys that have a foot out the door. And unfortunately, most guys have a foot out the door when they're on one or two-year deals. B. Walker, 196. I watched Kobe on detail and hearing him break down plays is amazing. Pippen was amazing. Yes, I saw that one on when he talked about Scotty's defense. And, you know, Scotty was one of the best defensive players I've ever seen. Um, he guarded everybody. Uh, I've always said that he completely turned the franchise around in Chicago in the 91 finals against the Lakers. He was the guy that picked magic up 94 feet when nobody picked magic up 94 feet and defended him and harassed him and turned that series around. And he was an elite level defender, um, guarded one through five could guard everybody was incredibly intelligent. Um, and Scotty, I'm glad that Michael said what he said in the first couple of installments about how great a player Scotty was, because he was that great. He became that great, I should say, and was as critical as anybody to their championships. All right, I think we'll take a few more here because it's 2.55. P. Diddy says, has there ever been a story you got but didn't believe until somebody else broke it? Um, no. <laughs> No, there's been, well, there's been a lot of stories that I had that I didn't break because I was waiting for confirmation. And that's just, that's the business, right? I mean, I'm, I, it's very hard for me to go with one source on anything. Um, I, so sometimes I have one source, I was waiting for another source to confirm and then somebody else got it. 
it's life in the big city happens sometimes. Um, let's see. Somebody, oh, Norman wants to know, should players get paid during the time they play in college? Absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. They're the, they're the reason why the NCAA gets the billions that they do and they should get part of it. You know, how much of that? There's lots of people smarter than me, um, but um, they should get something. James Lander, how long should the Sixers wait on Simmons? How do they improve their roster? Um, they need to get another Redick for one. Um, you know, I know that, that there was a feeling that JJ got exploited a little bit in the playoffs and maybe that's so, but I don't think you can ever have enough shooting, especially if you're going to, if you're going to build around Simmons and I'm fine with you building around Simmons because he has a unique skill set. He's a great, you know, he's a great defensive player already and he's a terrific passer and he can score. So those are three really good things to build around. So I'm fine with them building around Simmons and Embiid, but you must have shooting on the floor with those two guys if you're going to play through those two guys. You have to have people who can shoot. So I would wait. I wouldn't get. I wouldn't give up on Simmons. He's he's a terrific player. Um, let's see. Thoughts about the Rockets? Um, look, I said it before the season that I thought that uh, Harden and Westbrook legitimately are friends. They've been friends since they were nine years old playing in, in LA. They know they've known each other for years that they would make it work. They'd figure out a way to make it work because they actually like each other a lot. And so they figure out to make it work. Now, I don't think what they're doing is revolutionary in terms of this, you know, ultra small ball that everybody says they're playing. Um, you know, they're putting their five best players on the floor is what they're doing, you know, and they just happen to all be under 6'6". Six, six. Um, so I think, look, when you get to the playoffs and you get days off, or at least normally in the playoffs you get days off, um, you have a chance with playing that way. You know, the only thing that I wonder about with them is injuries because if you have a P.J. Tucker, you know, switched up on a big and the big turns and clocks him with an elbow – and he's out for three games with a concussion, that changes everything, right? So, so to me, the issue is not whether they can win playing the way they're playing. Of course they can. The issue is can they stay healthy playing the way they're playing, and that's what I don't know. All right, I'm going to take one more here. Let's see if we can find a good one here to get out on. Can we do this once a week? No. <laughs> my, schedule, my schedule and yours are both too, um, too crazy. Uh, Handsome Hamza says, do you think this pandemic is going to hurt the cap? And if so, does that change the landscape of the NBA? Um, it, well, it's going to affect the cap. I think the, the, the deal that they came up with last week um, will help, you know, with the players pledging to give some of their money back if the season's canceled, because that will help ease the, the financial burden on, on the teams. Um, but I don't think it will – I don't think the cap next year is going to be like 30% lower than it is this year. Let's put it that way. With the, with the players agreeing to give some of their money back if the season's canceled. So um, we should be okay. But look, y'all, I want to thank everybody for doing this. This was a lot of fun. Um, we will do it again sometime. It won't be next week. I want to thank Ernie Johnson, my friend, for asking me to do this. I hope we – answered the questions both of the students, the young people who were on, and the NBA fans um, enjoyed doing it, and we will do it again soon. Please stay safe. 
stay home. Take care. God bless. Thank you for tuning into this episode of VJ's Game Plan. For more information on today's guest and breaking into the sports media industry, go to our website, www.ejsgameplan.com. Tune in every week to hear from more guests on their experience in the media industry. EJ's Game Plan is brought to you by Ernie Johnson Jr., the University of Georgia's new media institute and Grady Sports.